0: Hello, Thanks for coming to listen to Mom's talk Autism today. only we aren't talking autism, we're talking ADHD with with autism too, of course. So stick with us and we're gonna dive right
1: into that. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism.
0: All right. So this is a... This is actually a pretty popular discussion in, uh, in our community. Um, and because it is a very common diagnosis to be coupled with autism as well. Um, and in addition, um, while, you know, Tasha's story about how autism came into, um, her life, uh, you Tosh herself is neurodivergent. And has ADHD, um, myself, I'm exploring my own neurodivergence. Uh, Already, no, I have dyslexia. Um, So it's not just our kids here that have the neurodivergence. (laughs) Uh, But we have a special guest with us today. Beth Gardner is joining us. And um, Beth has created a platform called uh, Driven to Connection. And it is all about creating awareness uh, and community around understanding ADHD and um, through basically the lifespan, talking from childhood through adulthood, because she herself is uh, an adult who has ADHD. Um, but I'm actually going to turn it over to Beth to tell us a little bit about herself and introduce herself to our audience here, as well as deliver, you know, the, uh, baseline definition here of what ADHD is, um, to ground us in this discussion. So Beth, thanks so much for joining us. We're so excited yeah. to have
2: you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you ladies for having me. I'm, I'm stoked. I'm really happy that you guys invited me and to have this conversation. It's just always part of my Conversation. You guys speak my language, and I'm just glad we can put it out there um, to your audience. So, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'll start with the definition, sort of as the groundwork before I jump into my story. Um, So, ADHD, attention hyper, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder it is one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders of childhood and it usually is first diagnosed in childhood and often lasts into adulthood and there's really sort of three pillars that are the descriptors of what encompasses ADHD um, and that is impulsivity distractibility and hyperactivity and we'll get into that a little bit more in terms of what that can look like um, men versus women, girls versus boys. Um, but basically the fact that it is something that children are diagnosed with, but is something that adults certainly struggle with, deal with, and are oftentimes diagnosed later in life. Um, as I'm learning so many women, especially are getting diagnosed later in life, um, due to different, different reasons. So, um, so, I, my name's Beth Gardner. I know you said that already. I'll say it again. Um, I'm in Wisconsin. I'm in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, which is right smack in the middle of the state. Um, and I'm originally from the Milwaukee area. Um, we moved up to central Wisconsin about five years ago when my husband got a new job. And at that time, let's see, my oldest was in, he finished second grade. Um, we had to, we left our community that we loved and thankfully this community we're in now is uh, where I went to college. My husband went to college. It's a great college town. Um, But at that time we were figuring out if my son had ADHD or not. Um, And he finished his second grade um, the last month of it in a brand new school in the midst of us also trying to figure out um, his diagnosis and all those fun things. So that was five years ago. Uh, my background is in nonprofit. So um, for about 10 years, I worked for the opera in Milwaukee, and I did all of their arts education programs in the schools. So I spent a ton of time going into the schools, working with teachers, um, providing supplemental Uh, opportunities and enhancing opportunities, not just opera specific, but um, music specific. Um, I do have a music background, um, but my degree was in arts administration. So really nonprofit life. If you, if you know anything about nonprofit, you wear a lot of different hats. Um, It's funny to me that so much of my career took me into schools because school was not really my happy place, um, which I'll talk a little bit more as we kind of sink sink into this, um, as someone with ADHD. Um, but I think it was also very healing for me to be able to reclaim a lot of my experiences and get into schools and feel like I could, yes, make a difference in terms of music education and and equal opportunities for kids throughout the state of Wisconsin. Um, but also to just really kind of be a fly on the wall to see what, what's happening in our schools and knowing that I'm kind of have that radar and that empathy for that kid Mm -hmm. that it's like, I see you, I see you, I know that. And I've been there. So that really, for me is where the trajectory sort of set me um, more into educational settings. I worked um, on the Northwest side of Milwaukee at a private school in a really, really um, under underprivileged, tough neighborhood. Um, and during that time, we received trauma-sensitive training, um, the entire staff, everything from lunch staff to secretaries, everybody. We all went through this process thanks to a grant. Um, we worked with a local university to receive that sort of training. So for me, that was just another door opening for me to learn about what trauma looks like Mm -hmm. in kids. Mm -hmm. And it's so much bigger than just, um, an incident that happened. Abuse. Yeah. 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 That poverty and how it manifests, but then also seeing sort of the cultural strain of, um, and stigma around mental health mm-hmm. and when the call is there to help and to step in and really help people um, that it's, it's really hard. Um, it's really, really And a really side hard, note to that, it's our district people. is
0: currently um, yeah. in cohorts doing trauma informed training. We will be, but the trajectory so is from three years from now that we will be a certified trauma informed school district.
2: And that so also good.
0: comes from you know trustees all the way all the way down. So very,
1: mm-hmm. it's,
0: yeah, it is really really important um, in terms of understanding like cultural competency and um, right. We can't you can't teach kids who aren't happy, released and engaged.
2: And um, yep, yeah. And if kids learn when they can, they can learn. But they learn when they can. And that was a. I think for me, I I probably took that for granted because of my own ADHD and knowing that I need to learn in a different way, but that's not second nature to a lot of people. So I think the more we can have conversations like this, Mm -hmm. um, and get, get it out there and just foster conversations, it's really, really important. So it just, it really, I know we're talking about ADHD specifically today, but for me, that was just that journey. Um, that I took through my career of starting off in nonprofit arts and then really spending a lot of time in schools um, really gave me pause for what I what I want to do and how I can make an impact. Um, so a couple couple years after we moved, um, I just really found myself in in. Great overwhelm in terms of I have so I have three boys. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but um, I have three boys, (laughs) and I think uh, you're forgiven on that, (laughs) yeah, right. And Mm. it's really quiet at my house because I have three boys and very peaceful here. (laughs) And um, so my son Jack was diagnosed in second grade, and um, like I had mentioned but i just wasn't i wasn't doing enough for myself um i was doing all these things to figure him out and make sure we were advocating for him and what he needed but kind of reached that tipping point where i was like wait why am i doing all these things for him and i'm not really paying close attention to what i need knowing i have adhd i was diagnosed as a teenager but i wasn't really i wasn't medicated i wasn't doing any of the things so um, I feel like that's kind of how it happens for a lot of us. There's that tipping point of when you start to kind of make a change within yourself. So, um, so yeah, I'm married, three kids, live in Wisconsin, and I have a nonprofit background. And now I'm really working to serve um families and women with ADHD. In a nutshell, that is me. <laughs> I love it.
0: It's very um. I love it. Yeah. So. So tell us, um, tell us about, about your tipping point. Talk to us about what that looked like for you and now how that is being integrated into your advocacy, um, that you're doing, um, and how it's just kind of like carving out a new pathway.
2: Yeah. I think, so like I said, I was, I was diagnosed in middle school, um, in school, it was really difficult for me. And now the the more that we all learn about what ADHD and how it's so different for girls and boys, um, a lot of my struggle was internal, Mm -hmm. um, and I was also, but it was also the the student that was super disorganized and the teachers were really frustrated by me. They just couldn't figure me out. I went to a private school. Um, so we didn't really have, well, first of all, this was what, in the 80s, 90s? Um, yeah, like late 80s. So there wasn't as much information back there about how to help oh, there wasn't people even, like us. We didn't even have our needs.
0: Uh, no. IDA yet. You know, that wasn't until like... Right. the nineties. Um, and I, I yeah. don't even know that ADHD was in the initial criteria for IDA. Um, so for getting mm-hmm. your child an mm-hmm. IDP. Um, so when you really we've yeah. talked about it on previous episodes of when you think about where we are as a, as a country and thinking about people having accessibility to their education and opportunities, it's still in its infancy
2: we're way behind mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. It, yeah. and
0: it's it's so strange too because compared though to some other countries where even we have we have more accessibility so it's just yeah. there's there's so much so much work to do um, and yeah it wasn't very common i think to one of the things that we've remarked on is that the stigma of ADHD universally is like male Hyper, mm-hmm. aggressive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep. You know, mm-hmm. disorganized, little disruptive, play, disruptive, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. and that's not how it looks. And you know, that's also when previous before the DSM, the current DSM manual, um, you had the separation of ADD and ADHD, ADHD, mm-hmm. and now it's combined right. under yep. one umbrella. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. it's interesting then because you were diagnosed in that previous, you know, tent of, yeah, before. yeah.
2: I was ADD with like a side of
0: anxiety. Mm-hmm. Is probably- and then when you yep. went and got a diagnosis again, right. You got as an adult, um, because who yeah. has time to keep paperwork from when you are a child. Um, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're now fall, you know, falling under that, the new criteria, um, and you know, do you, I don't know if we've really talked about that much, but do you see the positives and how the, the nature of the diagnostic criteria is It do you think it is serving people well, or is it still not, we're still missing the mark as a society?
2: We're still missing. I mean, there are. I think they did just make some changes to include. If you think about emotional dysregulation and mm-hmm. rejection sensitive dysphoria, mm-hmm. I have both of those. Um, I struggle with with both of those. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, <sighs> this is where I kind of thank <laughs> social media for really putting a lot of this to the forefront. Yeah, um, because it really has just been behind closed doors of any clinical setting and. I'm going to say it, but there's a lot of um, people in the medical field that don't understand mm-hmm. ADHD. They do still see it as just those three pillars of impulsivity, distractibility, hyperactivity, mm-hmm. and not, it, that's not include, that's not representative of how it works for girls and women. Right. Um, so, and I think educators are, way stretched and don't have enough of the resources either to be able to take in new information Mm -hmm. of what ADHD is and how to properly serve kids, um, beyond just looking at the bad behavior and really digging deeper into what's, what's below the surface and what is actually going on. Um, I'm, I am, I'm optimistic about where things are going. Um, especially as again it's these conversations and it's just normalizing like I would love to see teachers that can tell their students that they have ADHD right it, that it's not a secret anymore can we not have it be this and, and and I I feel that because for me it's been sort of this kind of closeted experience I didn't want people to know that I had it um, or have it and there's some people that are Surprised by it, shocked. Um, and then there's other people that are like, yeah, <laughs> um, not surprising at all. <laughs> um, so I'm optimistic, but I clinically I don't feel like I, I just feel like it's this box and mm-hmm. sort of this, and then when we're talking about autism and ADHD, and we're just continuing to expand what it looks like. I'm honestly just to the point where it's like, it's, neuro, it's neuro diver, yes yeah. Like, let's yep. just call it what it is and stop having these little boxes that we all need to check I mean, off and, yeah, and put people and fit in. into. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, because you had asked earlier about my, my tipping point, and I think a lot of what my tipping point is just the misinformation and seeing, like, my son, Jack, who is not the hyperactive kid. He's not the kiddo that is being disruptive and um, blurting things out in class. So people do kind of scratch their heads sometime when they find out that, that Jack, uh, my oldest has ADHD and it just speaks to how much work we have to do in terms of helping people to understand yeah what adhd actually is and well, what it looks like and how it can manifest
1: and yeah how how so. adhd is a spectrum as much as autism is a spectrum right it no, yep. no two children two boys two girls whatever are created equal right. in that everybody right you know manifest it in a different way so so this would um, be a good good segue to
0: even like for me to talk a little bit about what my experience with adhd has been um And also understanding, you know, inside of the educational system and even the medical system, it's like these two arenas take up all the space in the room. They get you get if you get one of the two diagnosis diagnoses, Mm -hmm. that is what is then becomes a catch all for everything. And that's not always the case. There's usually and it's very common and most likely common that ADHD and autism are together and people have combined type brains. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarities. They are, they're basically siblings with, you know, their sensory profiles of ADHD. Um, and there can be a lot of similarities there. Uh, but you know, you it's a different type of impulse. Um, in like control of impulsivity, um, in the brain. And so how I came to learn that distinction again, my previous stigma and understanding of ADHD was that, you know, profile I gave before, which was, um, that boy, I babysat him, you know, and he was one mm-hmm. of the You know, labeled as the worst-behaved child in our neighborhood, and in addition to that, he ended up as he matured. You know, he ended up with other diagnoses in addition to his his ADHD, which was very intense and serious. And that was how I always kind of identified it. Um, ADHD started walking into my personal life into adulthood once my husband got diagnosed, Um, and that started to kind of break down some of the other different nuances because my husband wasn't exactly hyperactive. Right. And that came under, you know, the umbrella of the new diagnostic criteria, which was also helpful Mm -hmm. to start laying that out for me in my mind at that time. And then, um, obviously with my son being diagnosed with autism at three and a half by the We did a six month appointment right after that initial appointment from the neurologist. And he said to me, I'm suspecting he has ADHD as well. And gave me kind of even a baseline of understanding of how common it is to be coupled together. Um, And most of the time it's actually missed because especially if you have a child that doesn't isn't presenting with any type of speech delay, Um, And they're hyperlexic, they're often, again, they're immediately funneled into the ADHD category and their autism is Mm -hmm. overlooked. And so it was this really interesting conversation that you kind of like laid out that work. But for whatever reason, as time went on, um, that conversation kind of exited in my brain because I wasn't even thinking, like, even at that young age, that if there was ADHD going on, that it would be introducing some level of challenge to our life, you know, intertwined into what what we were dealing with, with speech delay and sensory processing and autism and such. So like he, we were on this excessive elopement behavior impulse. I could not explain Mm -hmm. it. I, I kept pointing out to our entire healthcare team, which was a very large team of resources and Our education team and everybody was, again, targeting it from an autism behavioral standpoint and lens, they weren't there for the conversation I had with the neuro, you know, prior and that communication wasn't as regular as it is with your more regular clinicians and educators that you're seeing on a daily or weekly basis. So they're seeing it from this very narrow lens, and I'm not. I meanwhile, I'm just living in this pure, for you know, lack of a better word, hell, and you know, we're just surviving. We're just trying to survive and keep Mm -hmm. them safe and keep Mm -hmm. them alive, um, and not understanding it. But we had had pushed out another, you know, neuro appointment, you know, after that previous one week, we'd already, you know, forecasted when we were going to schedule the next one, but that wasn't until almost like a year later. And by the time we get in his office and we're telling him what's been going on for the past year, he is alarmed. And he said, we have a very serious situation and, you know, I'm reluctant Mm -hmm. to recommend medication, but he definitely has ADHD and we need to get his, you know, impulsivity down. And I was like, all of a sudden it was like this aha moment. And then we went back and revisited those previous conversations and I'm like, goodness, part of me wishes that you just would have already said he has ADHD because I would went into these conversations with the healthcare teams and the educator team, education teams kind of keeping that more in the forefront, but instead, since it got way lost in the back, I, you know, there, there were just serious safety concerns, you know, opening the car door, why it's moving, Mm -hmm. getting out of the car, you know, car seat, not being able to drive anywhere safely in a car for, you know, even 15 minutes at a time, you know, it was always like, what is going to happen? Um, but we did start that medication and, and we were lucky and I know that not everyone gets it on the first try and you have to try different things, but that did become yeah. a tool in our tool belt and it has made a whirl of difference um, for him and his self-regulation. It has increased his ability to comprehend his input and output and also be safe. You know, we've seen such mm-hmm. growth and it's been something we've had to monitor over time because your physiology changes, maturation takes over, there's other mm-hmm. things going on. So it constantly needs to be monitored. It's not like, okay, you just started and then, you know, that's it. And maybe occasionally check it. There's other things that present itself. Um and I can usually start to see the uptick and maybe you know, previous behaviors kind of representing themselves or resurfacing or you know, whatever. Um, the reason why, again, like we bring all this up is because his elopement was not, you know, really the autism elopement, even underneath of, you know, by behavioral standards, it's like anytime that they're not, you know, attending to whatever they're supposed to be, you know, again, compliant about at that time, it's considered eloping, but really with autism, with eloping, it's, there is a, there's an indifference uh, many times and also a complete lack of awareness that there's danger. My son didn't have a lack right. of awareness that there was danger because once he was confronted with it, he was reactive. The fear is that he wasn't going to be reactive enough and wasn't being mm-hmm. proactive. There was just the skip there. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but we didn't want to put him on a stimulant. Um, And I know this is kind of overlapping a little bit about medication, but for me explaining this thought process is, is important because he was young. He, he wasn't, his food repertoire had decreased so much that it was like, if I put him on a stimulant and one of, you know, the side effects of stimulants is decreased appetite. I was like, I don't know Mm -hmm. if I, I, I I'm still in that wheelhouse, you know, we're, um, so he's on Mm non-stimulants at this time, but there's going to be a time where he's going to roll over to that and maybe doing a combination of, of the two, but the combined type brain again, in a general as well runs on a spectrum because each of those things are on its own spectrum. They're intertwined mm-hmm. and creating a different mm-hmm. profile of neurodivergence <laughs> in our child. And our kids educational plans may not reflect that accurately. It can be really ho- I mean, I'm not a medical professional again, disclaimer, none of us are medical professionals. We are just (laughs) reluctant experts because we are either neurodivergent ourselves and are parenting these children and Mm -hmm. have had to make ourselves informed of our own experiences. Yeah. colored all of this, you know, um, but
2: Mm -hmm.
0: it's so hard to steward all of that comprehend. It's so comprehensive, but yes, it's so essential. And you know, it's that why all the more why this conversation is so, so important. Um, so, you know, and I will go back to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. um, each of or I guess I can talk about whatever I'm exploring later, because it, it, I'm sure that'll, um, will it'll end up tipping off into that part of the conversation. But Tash, I really want you yeah. to be able to tell tell your story because the other cool thing, this is so funny. So you have a Jack, Beth has a Jack and then <laughs> Rory and Jack are the same age and they both are combined type brained, and their profiles are combined type, are yeah. different. And they're even medication proof, you know
1: how you're medicating, how we're medicating is different. So anyhow, yeah. um, I want you to talk. Can, about- can we make a, can we make a mental note though, to go back to Beth, because I want to hear about, um, how, what, what the signs were with Jack, you know, because she's, because Beth, you were saying that the, that he didn't present as that kind of, you know, quote unquote, typical hyperactivity. Yes. Um, yes. yeah. So just mental note. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, got it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, much differently than, than Beth, you guys, I, um, did not have a diagnosis until just this last September. Um, always struggled a, a lot um again you know back in the 80s you know when we were in late 80s early 90s when we were in elementary school girls were just completely looked over um but but being a 40 year old woman now and and thinking back to um elementary middle school high school there all all of the signs <laughs> were there and and it wasn't the Necessarily amount of hyper activity outside, uh, physically manifesting itself. It was, um, all mentally, you know, it was just mm-hmm. the inability to focus and pay attention, the inability to retain, you know, educational information, um, having the, um, you know, b- being in the reading specialty classes, the math specialty classes, just because the amount of focus was None. You know, it was it was there. There mm-hmm. was no focus. Um, and then, you know, the impulsivity for me was a lot. I I, I sought it out as a child. I, um, you know, and and whether it was good or bad, you know, and 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 most of the time being negative, you know, because I just wanted that. I wanted that somebody to reciprocate with any kind of giving me attention. Um, so, dopamine. I loved that dopamine boost. <laughs> I did. I've yep. always loved it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So, it, it, um, you know, it going through a, a life of just struggling, um, you know, being, uh, starting with serious depression at 12 years old and, you know, multiple attempts at a young age to commit suicide, um, high levels of anxiety. Um, and then from that, um, doing also, I think what is a very typical thing for, um, you know, kids with neurodivergent brains is especially with that, you know, with the ADHD is, seeking out that dopamine boost. And and that unfortunately, you know, a lot of times is through, you know, street drugs is through, um, mm-hmm. risky behaviors, you know, um, high, high sexual, um, you know, behavior. So, uh, that <laughs> that's unfortunately the road that I went down. Um, and you know, I, I, have, I think just lived a, a life of, um, a lot of, a lot of trauma, a lot of, uh, self-induced trauma, a lot a of, um, you know, just avenues of destruction, I suppose. So, you know, then later in life having my sweet Jack and, um, my sweet husband, Tyler, who is completely ADHD. Um, he was Absolutely. The typical, um, hyperactivity, you know, so when we had Jack and, and Jack was getting a little bit older, it was, it was, you know, oh yeah, Jack is, is Tyler 100%. Um, and then, and then obviously too, noticing the, the, the other side stuff with, with the autism. Um, yeah. So Jack, Jack was diagnosed with, with, you know, his autism diagnosis amongst other side diagnosis? I, um, there's two things I
0: wanted to, mm. to point out that you pointed out that was very significant in this conversation, which is basically the, the predisposition for risky behavior. Um, mm-hmm. it yeah. is so common how common depression is, um, with it. And I would, you know, that's something that my husband is not shy about that he struggles with, with his, you know, ADHD, um, and the anxiety. Um, as Beth also had touched on, um, those kind of co-occurring symptoms—I uh, should I even call them the symptoms or presentations—are um, just presentations, really, yeah, Comorbid- morbid, just so is, yeah prevalent. Yeah. Um, in common, mm-hmm. and what this also leads into, and why this, what I want to also throw to you guys now, and like kind of also like re- in your reflection now as a as adults um, with diagnoses, um, and both of your journeys that were distinctively, you know, different, where you know you knew Beth, but you were like, no, I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm hiding. It. Yeah, yeah I'm like, avoid, mm-hmm. demand avoidant. Hmm that's cause that's not that's common. I'm going to be neurotypical. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. they, uh, is the, is, is reflecting on how it would have been helpful for you, how that could have changed your experiences then, um, being properly supported and more accepted with, with more, with better awareness. Um, so we'll answer, I want you to answer that, but the The point of the behavior part and how that those predispositioned is that you know it's that conversation of the school to prison pipeline and most people don't know exactly. is that yep. you know forty percent of our national um, you know incarceration rate are those with some form of disability majority of them with neurodevelopmental neurodevelop- yep. learning disabilities like autism and ADHD mm-hmm. um, so we mm-hmm. are we had been missing the mark for a really 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 long time mm-hmm. and and then also within that number is the over identification of of the you know more more marginalized based whether it's you know um, right ethnicity you know brown it mostly brown and black right. uh, males and um, low socioeconomic um, so it's really important to have that awareness and not just be so become so impervious to like, Oh, it's so common or like, it's overly diagnosed. It's, it's not really, um, it may have mm-hmm. been not treated properly. I think there was that it was like this, they weren't, they weren't doing anything to provide any other resources by saying, you know, throwing Ritalin or, you know, you right. know, uh, drug, you know, medication people's way there's, there's definitely a, a it's, the scale is tipping, but more, at least from what I see, you, you have, you know, healthcare professionals, there's more regulations in place for all of that. Like, um, but anyway,
1: well, well, and, and Gene, even just like you said, you know, some, some children or adults being stimulant versus non-stimulant, you know, like everybody's right. makeup is different. So right, they all don't um, just that alone. Yeah. You know, I was working. even looking right. Right. It was funny.
0: I even looked at like the, uh, rates, um, of, how receptive people are, how, uh, to, um, guanfacine, which is the non-stimulant that, that Rory is on. Mm-hmm. And I really expected that number to be higher than it was. Um, but it actually seems like it works better for people with combined typed brains and not just ADHD. Um, but I also yeah. think that that data is probably skewed because it's not accurate because I'm sure there's many people who are again have dual diagnosis and they are not it's not you know accurately it's not an accurate figure but anyway I digress I Mm think
2: there's a lot of that like which came first the chicken or the egg and is it the ADHD that's causing the anxiety Mm -hmm. is it the anxiety that's causing me to feel scatterbrained, great, right. you know, in air quotes, um, or emotionally dysregulated, mm-hmm. it's, it can be, it can be overwhelming um, when you look at all the different. Yeah, weren't they parts
0: diagnosing of it, it or like schools were also targeting it as like emotional disturbance? Um, mm-hmm. And I think, and I oh, still think that's very of, common. So instead of like them getting the proper support, they're yeah. getting targeted as emotional disturbance, and that's how they're getting. They're getting these BIPs, behavior intervention plans, put in place, and it's not even under the right umbrella of what the foundation of what is actually the antecedent to the behaviors that are happening.
2: Right. That that visual aid of I'm sure you guys have seen that. Um, Maybe some of your listeners have seen the 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 adhd iceberg and i'm sure there's one for autism Mm -hmm. autism too and really you could combine so many of the same things but of all the things that are happening below the surface Mm -hmm. and how our schools and mental health systems are set up to really just address the things that are on the surface and they're not addressing the things that are um below that and it's, it's honestly overwhelming when I, if I really step back and start to think about all these different things, um, even Gene the, the incarceration rate rates being so high. I mean, I saw that firsthand at the school I worked at where there were just certain kids that were on that track. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think a lot of people, I'm glad it's being talked about, but I don't think it's talked about enough that people don't realize the the pipeline to prison and the connection to ADHD. But there there's just so there's so much of the onion to peel away in terms of how we are looking at it. And I just, at this point I just feel like addressing all of it and not having to name everything just like, it's almost like we're overthinking mm-hmm. in a way like, okay, my son is anxious so let's let's look at that and then it's just putting these pieces of the puzzle together and i think it's also giving yourself as a parent permission to sort of pause and take a reset um because at least for me and with my jack that was a there right when we would figure one thing out something else would come up and then something else would come up Um, and so you're trying to grasp all these different moving pieces and you want everything to be okay all at once. Anxiety, the, so my son has dyspraxia, which is a, a movement disorder. Um, it wasn't until recently that we just started looking at that and he received OT and it was very helpful, but I just wasn't in a place, my husband and I, where we could look at that because we were still trying to figure out the adhd piece and getting the 504 plan in place for when he went into junior high which thank goodness we have that for him Mm -hmm. it's been a godsend Mm -hmm. but uh so there are all these things and it can get super overwhelming when you see the sum of all the parts and i think for me i've had to really Give myself permission to just kind of tackle things as they come, to mm-hmm. um, because you, you just can be really overwhelming. Which came first, the chicken or the egg, or is it a trigger, or is it mm-hmm. is it the symptom, is it the comorbidity, mm-hmm. what is it? Right. Mm-hmm. So right. it's very murky, very murky water that we are um, right. in can be find ourselves yeah. in. So
0: it is uh it's evaluating well, and, and, the the functions of behavior, you know, coming down to
2: that. And that's not always very black and white either. Or right. exactly, well, and you said before being a steward, and I, th- I think I think that's one of the hardest parts. Like we're doing that for our kids mm-hmm. and we know what needs to be addressed. But I think that's always where I just really struggle with how do we help the kids that may not have access right. to that kind of support um i know my privilege you know and i want to act accordingly right but how how we want how we need to help make change within schools to really make sure we're covering all the bases of neurodivergency the umbrella autism adhd um not just for our kids, but we're, without even realizing it, I mean, we're, we're trying to do this for a lot of other kids that may not have really great representation or support, um, within their own family systems. Right. So it's, right. it's overwhelming, but it's good yeah. work.
0: Where were you going <laughs> <Yeah, one, laughs> to say something? Do you remember now?
1: I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I want, to comment, <laughs> I want to comment on what you guys just said. Um, I think yeah. you know, much like you both were saying, that the the um, schools learning and having this trauma <clears throat> education to um, be able to navigate through what what these you know kiddos are walking through. Um, excuse me, my little voice. But. Um, you know, I think that that generally speaking is something that needs to be, you know, across the board across the United States. It can't just be um, you know, oh, we think it's in you know, it should be in this school district or this area or whatever. It needs to happen everywhere, you know we we as a country and a system are falling short on many levels in in that direction of, of the educational system. Yeah. It needs um, to be
0: more universally applied and not have such significant absolutely. disparities yeah. and then navigating disparities, disparities yeah. understanding where people need to like arrive or have a level of competency and understanding to to equitably meet what these kids actually need. Yeah, you know, there's right. so many parts to that landscape. Oh, it's so frustrating. Like don't even, um, but you were saying before, like Beth, that like people scratch your, uh, their heads about, um, your son, Jack, like that it doesn't, his ADHD doesn't exactly jump off the page to people. Um, you know, it seems like you get, or it sounds like you get a lot of, you know, different Reactions to that. So, what what does that like, and how does that impact you? And how are you having to navigate advocating for that?
2: Yeah, the the teachers certainly see it, um, no doubt about it. They saw, and even in kindergarten, I think i I was, I don't know why I was shocked. I wasn't shocked knowing that I have ADHD that he could too. But I remember the kindergarten teacher kind of seeing some things. But he was also that kid where we would go to story time at the library, and he was just totally tuned in, um, very well-behaved listening. Well, now I know that that's his hyper area of interest, Mm -hmm. and he was (laughs) hyper-focused on listening because that was his area (laughs) of interest. Uh, So when it came time for for kindergarten and he's having to switch gears more Mm -hmm. and do more transitions throughout the day... Um, that's where the struggle came in. Um, with you know, we kind of just let things. You, you sort of have this awareness, and then you you kind of know when it's go time. Like, okay, mm-hmm. it's go time now. We need to start looking at the diagnosis. So that, so second grade was was that time when the teacher um, when we met at conferences and we got things going in terms of the psychologist um, coming in to observe um, and what she saw was. A real discrepancy between if she would take another kiddo in the same class, a boy at the same same age, right in the same age frame as him, because we know developmental age and chronical age can be chronological chronological age can be very different. But so she sat two boys down and observed, and they had to complete a task from beginning to end. Um, and Jack was able was probably at about. 40% 40% in terms of being able to execute the task, follow directions beginning to end whereas the other boy same age, same birth year, same everything um was at about 84%. Mm-hmm. Um so that was that was a big just just I think to quantify it um and see it in in that way was was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um But just things like he, when it was time to transition to the carpet, they would be doing something at the desk. And when it was time to transition to the carpet, he would still be wrapped up in his own world. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't able to follow those social cues, which in some of these things, as I talk and think about this, I do have it in the back of my mind that it wouldn't surprise me if he is a bit on the spectrum. I haven't looked in that path, gone down that path yet. But um he just, he just was in his own world. He just, everyone else was falling in line and doing what they needed to be doing. Um, And he really struggled with that disorganization. um, And then math um, is really hard for him and certainly executive functioning um, and being able to take math concepts and all those things, same things that I struggled with Mm -hmm. math is, is awful for me. Um, So Yeah, we got the conversations going in second grade. Then we moved, which made it really more difficult to figure out. (laughs) Is he anxious and upset because we moved or is it the ADHD? So took a bit of a pause. And then by third grade, middle of third grade is when we had him on track with medication. And that's really when then, again, you can quantify and see how the medication was helping him. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really just... I think there's that fear, that stigma out there of it's going to mute your child or make, you know, sort of suppress
1: who their personality mm-hmm. or who they
2: are. And I just saw the opposite. Mm-hmm. He was able to do the things he needed to be doing in class. But that that emotional toll, that the toll that it can take on his self-esteem and his self-confidence for me, there's no, no alternative. I mean, that's worth its weight and gold. Just knowing that he had that and it's not perfect mm-hmm. b- by any means. Like you said, it's one, it's a tool in your, in your toolbox. Um, but yeah, but he, so he's, he's very much my cautious kid. He's more introverted. He loves reading, but once he's presented with Things even team sports where you really have your multitasking within your brain in terms of what your teammates are doing and what your role is on the field. All these things just really—it's
0: more of an—it is more of an executive very functioning up-parent. issue, right? For him. It's,
2: and mm-hmm. and it's hard because as a boy, you know, you kind of get written off as just the, the uncoordinated, you know, kid that's not good at sports, and that's. I guess a a point that I always like to make to people is to also understand that there is more beneath that because he has dyspraxia and that's part of his ADHD, um, that there's more to just it's not just that he's clumsy or bad at sports. There's more to it than that. And so that's another way way where we can make people aware Mm -hmm. of what's what's all going on. So, yeah. And then he started junior high this past year and he has a five Oh four and he gets a study hall where they're all working on the things they need to be working on and getting support. And it's, it's been awesome. So yeah, but not your, not your kid. That's the high flyer, the one running around the classroom. (laughs) So the teachers see it, but I think more so with family members, it's, it's, Jack's, Jack's a, a, a good kid. You know, I'm doing my air mm-hmm. quotes again. Jack's a good kid. He's well behaved. He can't have ADHD. Yeah. I mean, um, Brad was, yeah.
0: uh, <laughs> he was, he was just a he was a, he was like, he, he, he was a goofball, like class clown. I wouldn't say like Brad was disobedient. Like, you know, when he tells me like his interpretation and like, he still is friend's has lifelong friendships from, from even way back to like kindergarten, all the way up through high school. And I can tell you exactly like Brad's personality profile, you know, describe it to me and I can see it. Um, It was not his, it wasn't odd. And he was struggling with, you know, reading comprehension. And that was confronted by, by junior high where Brad is actually a savant with math, you know, that's, that's his, master Mm -hmm. skill. Mm -hmm. I am also terrible Mm -hmm. with math, but the math concepts that are more mm, that I do better with that again, are oddly, and I feel like are in their own wheelhouse can be an independent, you know, fractions, geometry, and there's something called like finite math, which is like logistics, right? But algebra Mm -hmm. and I, from my understanding is that you know, people with autism and with ADHD do tend to struggle algebraically if it doesn't, it is a type of thinker. Like, um, uh, Temple puts it, puts the, the autistic thinker into three different, you know, boxes. And one of them is that some of them are the more mathematical, um, thinker. And the other one is a one that thinks in pictures. And now I'm forgetting what the third one is. I have it written down somewhere and I always forget what the third one is. And I'm probably the third one who knows, I don't know. um, whatever it is. Um, but, uh, but no, I'm probably a thinking pictures kind of person, but, um, yeah, she, it it's, it's interesting as we, why we're evaluating data from what's happening with the pandemic and people, you know, coining learning loss or whatever, right? And looking at that, What's also um, they're doing some, I guess, different applications for different type of learners. And they were seeing, they were saying, like our director of curriculum at the time was telling us that they were seeing improvement um, with a certain application at this certain cohort of learners, and that were you know neurodivergent basically, and that they were doing better with this different application. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to the concept of. We must figure out to teach the way they learn, um, instead right. of the yeah. other type of thinking, um, which is right. actually a small amount of people who really learn that way. Which is also interesting enough. Um, mm-hmm. Which is probably mm-hmm. why we have things like valedictorians and stuff like that. You know, there's really a slimmer. <laughs> I think more people are in the middle, right? And I always found myself as Mm -hmm. being in the middle um, than they are like at that top tier. And it doesn't necessarily be that way, even though apparently though, when I talk now, everybody thinks, I was like, Oh, you must've been this like extremely great student. No, not at all. I mean, so I was a good student and I was a great student in terms of like in my student body of like being involved and stuff like that. But, um, You know, it was like some years I was doing great in math and some years I was doing great in, you know, English studies and reading, you know, there were years where depending on the demand that was expected, I was struggling and I couldn't figure out why. And I definitely thought there was something wrong with me. Um, And I Mm. think that, and I was like you, Beth, like I was in private schools. um, That was just the landscape of education system back east um from where i'm from from maryland and that you know there are very there's very small pockets of of good public school systems Mm -hmm. um the disparities are huge and terrible um where then you find people are are literally going broke you know to send their kids to private schools Mm -hmm. um that's sort of been that's been the growing pattern and trend. And that's dangerous for several reasons. And it's cause it's not even sustainable. Yeah. The, uh, the, my, yeah. this, my tuition, I would, I wouldn't even be able to afford the tuition to send my child to the schools that both my husband and I had attended. It's, I don't know how people are affording it. It's, it's crazy. Um, but anyway, and I should say, so is, is ask you is, Is he in, is your son in private school right now or are you, is he in
2: public school? No, no. We're in public school. Yep. Yep. For sure. That's just never been, I mean, financially it would be (laughs) a lot, but yeah, not very much for, for that reason as well that we know we always have the support, um, five of four. I know we need it mm -hmm.
0: and I, and I had that experience I will with mm -hmm. private school and not having a good experience
2: with private school because of that. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And I, I, I got myself out of public or private school to, um, by seventh grade, end of sixth grade, I said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So I did switch. And that is when, you know, you kind of look at your life, just these different benchmarks that, set you off on a different path. And that is when music and all my interests could really start to blossom Mm -hmm. and theater and all these things. But then also that I had teachers that were like clued in, like, yeah, "Hmm, something's going on here. Um, So that was huge um, for me, but I still didn't want to be bothered by it. I still was you know very very embarrassed by it very ashamed i don't know why gene it struck me when you just said before adhd and autism like it's it's so much i think we say them not always as like one it's always just one or the other you were saying something before and it was just the way you said it it was just like could we just start to we can see it, more, it
0: together combined you know yeah. i think yeah you know in previous discussions we talked about you know the kid even that has the gifted exceptionality and they have other you know one of those right. learning disabilities or another type of of challenge and they are a twice exceptional child those parents have a really hard time advocating for their child to say they are gifted here. We still need to figure out how we're gonna support them so they can still have opportunity to do what other gifted students are able to do. They shouldn't be now denied access to these gifted programs because of X, Y, and Z. And I've heard so much anguish from parents over that. Um, And it just happens it ha- it's so common and I know it's overwhelming, you know, for educators, I get it. It's, it's completely, it's completely overwhelming to be able to figure out, to be an expert on all of those things. And, you know, you really see a gamut of differences and especially in a public school more so is, is it's less, mm-hmm. it's private schools are more niched down um, or even charters even, but you, Public school is just a much more wider array. And I love what you said, which was like, public school opened up those beautiful opportunities to you. I think people don't hear that enough. I think it it got, especially where I'm, you know, got written off as a redheaded stepchild. But now where we are in Texas, I Mm -hmm. see it totally Mm -hmm. from a different angle. Um, and I do see that like, wow, look at all of these other things that these students get to do that I never even had access to. And I had to pay for, right. Like or my family had to pay for, um, it's just Mm -hmm. that, that part is so, uh, so interesting and yeah, I, I, we're at a, as a country we're at an impasse because there's just a war on public education. But honestly, it's the only way that we can ensure that everyone has access to education mm-hmm. and specifically our yeah. children that have mm-hmm. challenges. And I've said it in other podcasts, this we're losing a whole generation of advocacy for disability. Um, because all of those people that got 504 and ADA, pa- ADA passed and the IEA are, are pass, passing on. Some are dying. And there's almost mm-hmm. become like this complacency with the systems or people think that things are already working or, you know, they're f- too scared to speak up. Mm-hmm. Um, Just keep making that change. We, mm-hmm. This is us trying to wedge those conversations and be courageous enough to have the conversation, because that's literally what advocacy is really. I mean, it's not, it's not a full-fledged activism and you're like full rage banging down doors no. and protesting or whatever. It's, mm. it's, it's staying curious and staying engaged and, you know, asking questions that you don't understand. Asking the questions. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's what it is. And so like, you know, we talk so much exclusively about our autistic kids, but, you know, specifically Tosh and I definitely have the kids that have the dual diagnosis, um, and how common that is. And I know, you know, we have, um, future, we have other episodes where we've talked about kids that have other medical comorbidities that are again, also very common
2: yeah.
0: with autism. Mm-hmm, and it's important mm-hmm. to explore all those intersectionalities and, again, the, the, the ADHD and autism are just like siblings. I used to see that so much all over the place. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you, Beth, because we didn't dive into this part yet. And I think it's probably important is where you see, and I've read a lot about it, but I really want to hear your point of view on it fully is how ADHD presents itself in women um, mm. and females for males. Mm. And, you know, and it's how important it is to also acknowledge that the presentation of, of ADHD, just like autism does not present in the same ways it does at certain developmental phases of, you know, someone's physiology. It's as you age, you get older, you go through adolescence and to adulthood, different levels of adulthood we are experiencing it and it may present itself in different ways so do you um, i think it's something that you talk about a lot with your platform that you have
2: yeah it's it's something that doctors clinicians will usually see women coming into their office to have a conversation and it's usually looked at through the lens of depression or anxiety, either or most often depression. And then it, it becomes treating that, um, with SSRIs, which are not going to (laughs) help, um, our ADHD brains in, in women and in girls. So, I mean, that's, that's the one piece is that Women are being misdiagnosed as simply having depression or anxiety, and that's that's going to be their story. That's going to be what they know, and that's how they're going to go through their life. And then you're going to start to pile on a lot of shame and confusion and emotional dysregulation as you go through life. And if you decide to have kids, if you have kids, there's so much unpredictability going on in your life. You're more, your, your emotions are frayed. You're having to manage not just yourself, but you're having to manage three, you know, for me, three boys, um, all these workarounds that I had put in place for myself are failing. They're not really working anymore. Um, so typically for women, yeah, it starts either as a misdiagnosis or it starts as nothing. It starts as no diagnosis and just going through life. Um, and just it's like I, I envision like that tumbleweed going across you know the wild west where it just collects and it just collects and it keeps going and being kicked down the road. Um, perfection and perfectionism, I think, is probably one of one of the aspects of it for women that uh, maybe people don't quite understand as much is that there's an overcompensation. Um, you're having these internal struggles not being able to stay organized not being able to get things done not being able to put that you know hang that picture on the wall you see, you can visually see things around the house um but trying to keep up and trying to feel like why can she do it and i and i can't do it and i think that's normal no matter what as women and as moms that we experience a level of that but add about 10 times volume to that issue of what looks normal and what doesn't look quote-unquote normal Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's perfectionism and everything has to be just right before hitting the go button or the Open sign to the house or whatever, um, presenting perfection um, for fear of Are you looking? shame right. and vulnerable. You know, for for being called out, really for being called out, mm-hmm. for being found out, mm-hmm. right? Um, and seeing
0: feeling like you and at and,
2: and then the other right. Uh, The other part of it, then, too, is just if you're smart and if you did well in school as a girl, as a a female, you don't have ADHD. There's no way you have ADHD. And we know that that's not true. And we know that's not true when we start to finally talk about these things more and it becomes a me too, me too, me too, um, where women can start to feel more comfortable realizing that they're in really good company Mm -hmm. um, with women like yourself who are strong, successful women. Um, So that, I mean, that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's just, it's, it's, it's way more internal. Mm -hmm. um, And the inattentiveness for me was definitely there, but I was gonna, find different ways to, to mask it through music and through other what, things. But. Um,
0: what would your advice be right now for one, you know, why we're parenting the child, like we're parenting ch- children with ADHD. And then like, you know, for any of parents that are exploring potential like diagnosis, like what is, what are you
2: finding that is helpful? Um, to those you're serving? I think the best thing that you can do is to find your people and to find a village and to find community because you will always have that, that clinical piece and that that's just part of the equation. But I think to be able to talk to people who have a lived experience and that's what i want to bring to the table is this lived experience for me i call it the trifecta lens i have the lens of being a girl that had adhd but didn't really know she had adhd until she was in middle school until she was a teenager um to then the lens of being a a a woman working her way through career and then becoming a wife and doing all those things, um, knowing full well I have ADHD, but still not really taking any ownership of it to now being a mom, um, of someone with ADHD. Mm-hmm. But I guess my encouragement and my advice is that there are people out there like us that have walked this walk or that are walking And, you know, Jack's my oldest, so he's kind of my guinea pig. I'm still figuring (laughs) I can be really helpful to somebody that has a fourth grader or a second grader, but there's going to be somebody else that's going to give me a perspective of how can I best help Jack when he's in high school? Mm -hmm. Because we're not there yet and I'm not there yet. Um, But that's my biggest piece of advice is really just to find people that you can talk to. And they may not be your... It doesn't have to be your group of like friends. Your inner you know, circle. But but what I have found is it it does, it becomes community. Mm-hmm. Um so really to seek seek those things out. Peer sure to peer but, support.
0: That is um, definitely our yeah. biggest claim to to fame here and mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um
2: <laughs> that. yeah. I mean that's what Brene Brown says. She says we're we're hardwired for connection. Mm-hmm. And I think we can have all this be armed with all this information about our kids um, or about ourselves um, and sort of what to do. But I think without that, like the humanity of it and the, the connection that we have to each other through telling our stories, um, that's partly why I I've just started to be more vocal about it and talking about it and, and having these little support groups, because I want people to know that there are those people out there that Um, can help walk help you walk alongside whatever it is you're going through, Mm -hmm. whether it's ADHD or autism. So, how do people find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah. Um. So i I do have a. I'm on Instagram, and that is uh, Beth G at Driven to Connection. So B E T H G, uh, lowercase, and then underscore Driven to Connection. Um, you can find me there. You can also find me, I have a group page on Facebook called Driven to Connection. So that's sort of my support hub. Um, and yeah, that's where people can just, if they have something they need to put out there and it's not local, just to Wisconsin, there's people all over the country that are on that page and we share information resources. If we hit a bump in the road, then we can uh, help each other out. So those are the two places. Well, Beth Gardner.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been my, my peak of the week. Usually we do share everybody's peak of the week before we wrap up the show. But I would say Mm. that I've been looking forward to having this conversation. um, Just because it all, again, autism alone can be its own vortex ADHD by itself is its own vortex, but yeah, You know, combining them all together is really—it's such an essential conversation to to explore for parents to stay curious about their kids because it may not be that. I was finding myself the other day while my son was having a meltdown, wondering, "Going, why am I just telling people that he's autistic? Because he's not just autistic. Like it's not just what it is. I'm just like." Mm -hmm that's the only way that's going to like justify the behavior to you right now. Like, and I'm being quick and snippy, but you know, that's, that's why it's like, I don't even want that to be my automated response. And that's to be the only explanation for what is, what is going on. Um, We have to like change the dynamics here when, when these things happen, because so we all can have accessibility to things in life and mm-hmm. people, or it can be in community with you, even you know, on a spontaneous basis. So, I am um, so so grateful for you having this conversation with the three of us and sharing your lived experiences. All of us collectively, um, and I know that this is just the beginning. I feel like we could we could
2: keep talking. I know. I'm like I feel like I'm just getting into just it. Scratching now. the surface. Yeah. You're just scratching <laughs> I know. the surface, guys. I know. It's so
0: crazy. If you're feeling overwhelmed, let's do some breathing exercises. Uh <laughs> right. Uh, right. Uh Tashi, what about you? What's your peak?
1: <clears throat> I would say just um getting to know Beth. You know, it's it is uh it's a it's a crazy world out there, but not having that you know, shared experience, not having people who can really understand. Um, and then meeting that person and they're like, yep, yep. You know, they don't even have to say, yep. They're like, Mm -hmm. they just, there's this look and you just, and you get it, you know? So, um, Beth, my new sister from another Mr., Yeah, my new partner in crime. (laughs)
2: Yeah, ditto. Right back at you. Finding another another
1: person to add to my um, posse, (laughs) my tribe. My yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially when Tosh is having her ADHD movements for sure. Oh man, when you just don't even have to explain, they're just like, I know. There's times
0: where she's explaining, and I go, "Stop (laughs) explaining." I know we are, I now already know, but
2: she still feels like she needs <laughs> that's to part of it. I know. And I'm like, you don't need it. You have to verbally yeah. process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so Beth, what about you? Yeah. Oh, this for sure is my peak. Mm-hmm. Definitely just getting to know you, Jean, I I knew you, you know, through different mutual friends, but, um, Yeah. And getting to know you better through this. And I just admire everything that you've been doing within your school district and for your son. And it, I benefit from it. We all benefit from it. So just to partner up with you in this way, and then to meet Tosh and just be laughing on Marco Polo, as and we and your first got to know each other
1: podcast. Huh? This is your
2: first time, yeah. doing a podcast, and it's my first and podcast. Nobody knows. Yes. no one's even about to know. They're probably gonna have yeah. natural. To yeah. mm-hmm. Oh goodness. Yeah, it was it was really fun. I want to say too, just so if anyone, um, I guess this was my 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 other little fun fact, but driven to connection is sort of a, a spin off of. Uh, driven to distraction. So Mm -hmm. the, the Dr. Ned Hallowell book, he's sort of the grandfather of all things, ADHD. Um, one of the greatest books of all time. Um, and he's done a lot for ADHD resource uh, research. If you haven't read any of his books, that Dr. Ned Hallowell, but I I look at connection with other people as sort of my, my strong suit, my superpower, what fuels me and what Makes me thrive. And that's a, conversations like this that yeah. we're having.
0: Well, I think you're so a right good now. company. Here so I would say um,
2: that
1: Tasha and I are definitely those yeah. type of
2: people for sure. Yeah. 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 Driven to connection. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, and,
1: and we will share all of the things in the show notes because I just listened to him on the podcast with the the, the woman. I can't remember her name. And he oh, yeah. He is uh,
2: Kristen Carter.
1: He is incredible. So, we will put that in the show notes because now I'm excited to go and read his book. Yeah. yeah. And this is when kind of says, like having your dad I'm put all your this grandpa. stuff in the show
0: notes and then we go, what do we have to remember to put into <laughs> the show notes? <laughs> because we all do it. And then I listen to it and I go, Oh my gosh, I didn't write that in the show notes. And then I have to I'm gonna write that down right now. <laughs> and then I go and I'm like, okay, I'll make sure I put it on a post and social media. So again, like there's <laughs> access to
2: it. You know, we're like
0: we all try to like course correct after we're like, Well, okay, well, we missed that window. Um, which is just explains either the combination yeah. of mom brain or ADHD, whatever our yeah. neurodivergence is that's uh-huh. contributing to Yes, spinning out basically, but you know.
1: yeah, and yep. and and on that yep. note, hopefully, all of you were able to follow along this very uh, shiny object conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs>
0: yeah. yep, yep. All right, thank Definitely. you for joining yes. us with Mom's Talking ADHD today. And please, please, yeah. please make sure you give us a follow, send us your comments, any kind of um. What are the reviews? Reviews, we love them because reviews. it helps people find mm-hmm. us. It helps other families, um, like yours, and individuals like yours, find uh, people that they need. Um, and this is our first conversation of really talking about ADHD. So I hope that this really this resonates yeah. with many, many, many people out there. So thank you all for being with us today. Until next time, bye, guys, thank you, ladies. Bye.